Geek Card presents Back Issue Bloodbath with your hosts, Andrew Young and Petula Neal. Four middle-aged men who seemed to have it all. They were world adventurers. They had faced great odds, cheated death, lived hard, sucked on the marrow of life, and were living it up in a city that bared their name making money off of merchandising and deals that had gone on for years. But it's comics, so people don't get a happily ever after. Somebody was like, fuck that shit. The challengers of the unknown must die. Welcome to Back Issue Bloodbath. I'm Andrew Young. I'm Batula Neal. And this week, we're going all the way back to 1991 for the eight-issue miniseries, The Challengers of the Unknown Must Die. Now, what makes this particular miniseries special? It is not only the first time that Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, one of the dynamic duos of comicdom, had their first story together. It is, in fact, the first comic story that Jeff Loeb had ever written. Of course, before that, he was a screenwriter. He still works in film and television today. He was supposed to write the Flash movie that they were trying to get off the ground in the early 90s. But before he even finished the script, the project was canned. So the president of DC, Jeanette Kahn, was like, hey, why don't you come write a comic for us? And one thing led to another, and they were given The Challenges of the Unknown, a series that was big during the Silver Age, and told, hey, why don't you give a modern day take on it with a bit of a darker twist? And that's exactly what they did. Batula, before I suggested this one. Had you even heard of this miniseries? Absolutely not. Yeah, because that's the thing. It's like people, when they think of Loeb and Sale, they think of you know, uh, Superman for All Seasons, Batman the Long Halloween, Batman the Haunted Nights Halloween specials, Batman Dark Victory, Daredevil Yellow, Spider-Man Blue, Hulk Gray. Those are the ones that come to mind. But then there's ones from their early career that people don't even think of. This is one of another one which... A lot of people forget about it. They also did a Wolverine Gambit series called Victims in the mid-90s. This was their very first time working as a team. This was Jeff Loeb's first comic. This is Tim Sale had done a few comics before that, but uh, they were basically rookies. They were a rookie team coming in, taking a older set of characters that nobody really cared about anymore. And of course, when you have characters like that, you can do whatever story you want, which is proof like right now with the current Marvel Disney Moon Knight show, which has done a lot of things differently from the comics. This was them going, well, what do we do with them now? What with the idea of like, they were huge in the, the, the 50s and the 60s and stuff like that. What would they be like now? And so it's a fast forwarding to, you know, they're, they're older men. They live in Challenger Mountain. The town surrounding them kind of lives off of their name because they're a tourist attraction. They, they sell t-shirts. They sell that. And they, and they, aside from a local paper, which basically has exclusive rights to tell stories about the challenges of the unknown, everybody on the outside of that city throughout America just sees them as, oh yeah, they used to be heroes once. Hey, you know, it's like, they've become like your six flags. You know, it's like they're a tourist attraction and that's about it. But things go crazy when the mountain gets blown up and all the people in the town get affected by that. There's multiple deaths from it. Two of the people involved in the challengers, prof and June, they die leaving the survivors, Rocky ACE and red 
to pick up the pieces and probably get blamed for everything that happened. So it's not a real like heroic or happy start to a story. The one title I was looking for when you were listing off all the things they'd worked on, uh, the Catwoman went in Rome, which was Catwoman went in Rome. Yep, there we go. They also did Captain America White as well. Not the greatest title, but yeah. uh, <laughs> but yeah, like they did all kinds of things. But reading this one, you get obviously some things are similar in looks. There's the odd line. There's the man I could go for a beer line that was just very Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, it's like stuff's just blown up. There's, you know, people, buildings, bits everywhere. You know, Wolverine's just always and often. Usually he waits until after, but that man, I could go for a beer energy. I just love that they take the time. And it's just like this little at the bottom of the page. Like it's barely a panel. Mm. It's it's the part of the page where your thumb would go. if It was had a little flip book situation uh, <laughs> going on. But it spoke to me. I spent a lot of time uh, on that page last night. It's I don't know if I would have liked this before. But I sort of looking at it as an archive piece. Uh, oh, this is showing how they're going to collaborate later on. And it almost does feel like a beta test. Like, let's take this thing that like maybe, you know, it's not going to go anywhere or be reused or people aren't going to build on or haven't heard of that much. And we can really literally blow it all up and sort of try out things that we wanted to try out with uh, more known characters, but we weren't allowed to. And some of that, you know, we've been in other jobs or the people or been in other industries and we're frustrated. Some of that energy almost comes through. They weren't old when they did this, but it's giving like very old man energy. Like, well, because the characters are the old men of the story. So, yeah. Yeah. But it's just like giving the uh, I'm tired. Like, haven't I done enough? Like, why aren't people more grateful for what I've done? And uh, I can do this. But do I want to or do I want to just fake my death and run away? Like, it's just very very relatable after the last couple of years. I love that we read this now. I think if we'd read this a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have responded to it as much. Right. But this sort of like, you know, GTA, ah, here we go again. Energy really spoke to me in this where you're watching them save people so begrudgingly. Like... And then to your point, are still going to get blamed for it, which they realize sort of partway through. It's like for everybody, every one person that's grateful, there's another two that are like, my house, my business, my savings, my family. Like, okay, like family. Okay. But you know what I mean? It's a whole thing where you know this is some real thankless task. And like, why are they bothering? No, totally. And it's like they're being blamed for it. But, you know, in actuality, they were attacked by the multi-man. The multi-man, a former villain of theirs, had planted a bomb in the mountain. And that's as what one does. The, yeah, as one does, that's caused the explosion. Yeah. But of course, it's being sold to the public, like, no, the challengers caused this, to the point where their lawyer suggests, well, Prof didn't make it, and Prof was the scientist of your group, could have been messing around with some chemicals, him and June mixing too many things the wrong way, and poof. Why don't you guys say that? And so they're, they originally agreed to it, but then they each take time in their own way. And it's kind of, this is where their identities are really shown off. Ace is a guy who's kind of really fallen deep into the occult. And so he is looking at things from like a pagan religion sort of way about life and death. Rocky is very classic, you know, you know sitting at a bar, you know, trying to contemplate life that way with a, you know, a drink in his hand 
thinking about the old times, being very nostalgic. And then Red, Red is just an angry motherfucker. <laughs> He's like, you know what? I don't give a fuck. The basically the energy that you were talking about. I don't give a fuck. I've given these people all my fucking life. They can eat me if they don't appreciate it, sort of thing. Yeah. But the one thing that they all come to at that point is, well, we can't throw Prof under the bus because it wasn't Prof's fault. I don't know what happened here, but it definitely wasn't him. And their lawyer, of course, is upset about that. But then the district attorney is like out for blood. She really wants to really make the challengers an example of like, just because you were a superhero doesn't mean you can get away with shit. Technically, these guys weren't superheroes. But it isn't until Superman comes and takes the stand that, you know, he basically speaks about the character of the challengers and talks about innocent until proven guilty and all that sort of stuff. And of course the jury finds them not guilty. And this is when they go on their own separate adventures. And this is where the story really takes off. But before we get into that, a couple of things I want to bring up. Number one, they Loeb and Sale apparently had to fight to get Superman in this book because there were some editors who looked at the subject matter that was being covered, the adult nature of the story and said, we don't want Superman in that book. And if there was battles back and forth about it. And eventually it was decided he has to be in the book. And when you see the scene, it's like, yeah, because you need basically with this district attorney, you know, any random superhero going up and vouching for them would not sway a jury. It has to be like the impossibly good character who nobody can really find a fault in his argument to, you know, stand up there. And also, if you know his backstory and, you know, Superman's PR people, it's a, it's tough, tough hang, but also a great backstory that would resonate with the people in the town, even subconsciously, like, oh, look, who could possibly understand what you've just been through? Dude's whole planet was obliterated. Like, it's not like he's coming from a place of, I can't understand what you're going through. Exactly, exactly. Now, the other thing that I find in this first, like, two chapters, which is, of course, about the explosion and the trial, is almost all the characters have a very cynical outlook on life. Like, not just the challenges themselves, but, like, all the people around them. Of course, like, the guy who his job is to tell their story, Harold Moffat. Harold Moffat is a quick-talking, you know, like, sees himself as, like, I'm going to get rich before I'm 30 type writer who thinks he's going to win a Pulitzer and bag a chick and drive around in a sharp car. He just needs another year to pull it off sort of deal. And we get to see the most of the story through him, which, of course, adds that level of cynicism. But then when you see him after the explosion, he, of course, he's trying to make himself famous by getting on there, getting on the news and saying, hey, I'm the guy that reports on them. I know everything about the challengers. And, you know, he's trying to make himself a star with one news break and pick up the female reporter. And you're hearing in the back of his mind about that, like the, the sleaziness and everything. And then I mean, in his head, you're just hearing all the creepy stuff that you most people are thinking, but have the good sense not to say out loud to somebody that they whether you're interested in someone physically or not, there there's certain occasions. There's a time and a place. Yeah, exactly. But it's not when a town just recently exploded. Exactly. And when you look at that character, you're like, oh, you're supposed to be like, uh, but then you get to hear the thought process of the other reporter when news emerges and she's getting her like big, like exclusive the entire time, she's not thinking about the problem either. She's thinking about 
this is going to get me my my Pulitzer. This is going to get me sort of thing. So it's like it shows very much kind of like the darker side, the more selfish side of people throughout the beginning of this story. And it's almost like when you look at the challengers and how they're like, oh, why do I have to, you know, keep proving myself here? This is bullshit. It's sort of like, yeah, most people do suck. So I kind of get that. <laughs> yeah. How many times you got to wonder a uh, superhero save someone and then they, you know, drop them off at home. And like maybe there's a bunch of like, I don't know, Confederate flags or something there. And it's just like, oof, should have left them under the rubble. Like yeah. <laughs> they have reached that point. If you had told me that this book was written by two very old, very like, I'm tired of the whole comic book industry kind of people that are like at the tail twilight of their career. If you told me this was written by Alan Moore after finally read the fine print on that Watchmen contract, I would be like, (laughs) this makes sense. So it's so interesting that it was one of their first collabos before they went on to do all those other things. because. It's really giving a, I'm too old for this. It's, it's a double Murtaugh. Yeah. yeah, no, totally. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then, so it's like, of course, after they get through this whole ordeal where basically town sues them, but they're proven not guilty. And it's sort of like, Hey, we won our big court case, but still nobody really cares. Nobody so, wins. It's yeah. probably one of the most, and maybe that's why this is a bummer because it's too realistic. This is exactly what would happen. Yeah. Including like, okay, you were attacked, but nobody really believes you. Or that's like the harder story to sell. The truth is the harder story to sell. And you get sued for trying to help people, even though you were attacked. Yeah. And even though you get off, not in the fun way phrasing, the resolution's not great. So yeah, yeah, it's too real. (laughs) But again, if, uh, if we'd read this two years ago, as we were heading into uh, some of the things that have gone on, I would have found this too dark. Now I'm like, eh, there's a few yucks in here. Yeah, no, that was the thing. Like, I remember when I originally read this, because it's like, again, fan of Loven's sale, fan of what they've done. So when this was first reprinted back in the mid 2000s, people were like, oh, you want to pick this up? This is the first time Loven's sale worked together. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, definitely want to pick it up. And so, of course, you're thinking of sitting down to read this and you're thinking of Superman for all seasons. You're thinking of Spider-Man Blue. You're thinking of Daredevil Yellow. You're thinking of like that level of hope. Even in sadness, there's hope in those stories to read this. And it's like this story, this story ain't about hope. This story is about it's about Jordan Peele. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. It's about endurance. (laughs) What can a human go through sort of thing? What can they endure and still come out alive? And so. Of course, because nobody cares about the challengers and that the mountain's been destroyed and everything like that. These three men go off on their own walkabouts. One is trying to find deeper enlightenment, which carries him to the jungle, trying to find a leader to lead him down the spiritual path. Another just digs deep into war and becomes a mercenary, goes to war, becomes a vigilante, basically is just into killing. And then the third one, He's just trying to find a piece of his past. He's trying to find the good times. So what does he do? He goes to the places where they were treated as as heroes. He goes to real snazzy places as well, like in casinos and places like that, tries to live the life of a celebrity. He hooks up with an old flame who used to be connected with the challengers, who basically takes him for all of his money. He basically lives the life of your Hollywood star 
that made it big and then made wrong choice after wrong choice and loses it all again sort of thing. It still has like that final congratulatory sort of it happens occasionally with sports with certain players who you know they're maybe not washed but they are gonna retire and instead of waiting to the end of the season and just like hey I'm done they make a whole production out of it mm-hmm. and it's like every city they go to it's the last time so-and-so will play at xyz and there's a whole thing at every place they go to it's very that it's like I'm gonna have my own sort of goodbye run because nobody's doing it for me. And I want to have that like last, you know, take the shirt off, run around the pitch kind of moment. Yeah. 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 And so you have these three parallel journeys and all are compelling for, you know, their own specific reasons. You know, one is very much like a gritty, like you're watching an old 70s Charles Manson. One is more like a Kirk Douglas, bad and the beautiful type story. Charles Manson or Bronson? Charles Bronson, sorry. Let me say that again. Charles Bronson. There you go. I mean, no, no, no. I can see that. I can see that. But I met Charles. I met Charles. I met Charles Bronson, though. Murdery. Yeah, very murdery. (laughs) Uh, And then the third one is very much like an epic spiritual journey that you, you know, equate to like something like Doctor Strange would go through or something like that. And so they're all like interesting and compelling for their own rides and they all run parallel. And it isn't until they all kind of find information that leads them back to solving the mystery of the person that fucked up their lives. And of course, as I mentioned, it is an old arch nemesis, the multi-man who also fell on hard times and decided I want to go out with a bang. My last moment will be to destroy the challengers of the unknown. And so it brings the team back together. And instead of just going back to their old ways, they use the new things they've learned to become a, you know, a new force to save the day. Like in the nineties, things were getting gritty and dark and, you know, there was usually a lot of guns and spikes and death and stuff like that. But this is such a, like a, like a subtle version of it. It's subdued. It's sort of like, this is like the, slice of life version of vengeance and death and anger. Here's the thing, listener. I didn't think I could get emotionally involved in a book about old white men feeling their feelings, but here I am. So I will say at least in one area, it accomplishes you feel for these people who can barely still feel themselves. And that's a feat for sure. Visually, the art's rough in some places, but it's rough in the way where if you've read their other collabo stuff, they let eyebrows and angles and shadows do a lot of heavy mm-hmm. lifting for characters' expressions. It's like some of the the carnage is prettier than the people. It's almost like the reverse of a lot of other comic art. Right. They don't spend a lot of time making the figures and the faces beautiful, but rend something apart, body or building, glorious. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, for me, when I read this, because of course I'd read it before, and I reread it now, but the one character that really stands out for me is Ace. And it's because Ace is the one character out of the challengers that got a little spotlight in the past 15 years in the pages of New Frontier as Hal Jordan's buddy, Ace of the Challengers of the Unknown, has like some big moments in that series. 
And in that, because New Frontier is supposed to take place in the time that the original comics came out, he is shown off as like your all-American superhero type guy. You know, it's like barrel-chested, big mane of blonde hair. Hal Jordan's his little buddy, you know? And it's like, think about it. It's Hal Jordan who's already a barrel-chested guy and everything like that. And this, he's a slender, like almost angular old man who is very at home with like, a goat's head and blood smeared all over his chest. <laughs> very different. Yeah. Very yeah. different from the ace of the original period. And then what we got to see in new frontier. So when I look at the other guys, I see like a connection to the old silver age type characters. Just, you know, it's like, Oh, of course you got your cranky guy. You got your sporty guy. I see that you had your professor who died, who like, you know, would have been like a Mr. Fantastic type deal. But Ace, Ace has been through shit, man. He has been through a lot of shit to the point where I at first, until I reread, I had forgotten that that was Ace in the story because I was so used to thinking of the all-American looking dude. Yeah, and there's just something about the way they slightly stretch out his face a little bit more. So already he just looks constantly startled and you know what? It's giving bad Botox in that kind of way. But it also, to your point, is that, like, I've seen some things. Yeah. 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 And I am, like, permanently marked. And I cannot dissemble. Yeah. yeah. You know, of course, the multi-man is the catalyst for the story. But the real antagonists are themselves. They're having, it's basically man versus himself throughout the story. But the thing that really pissed off Loeb, didn't piss him off, like, really bad. But it was kind of annoyed him that it's, like, the story went through... They've killed off the multi-man at the exact same time in 1991, at the exact same time, the Justice League was telling a story involving the multi-man and he was still alive. And so Loeb and Sale lobbied to some editors saying, we want to tell us, show like how that could happen. We want to explain that continuity. One of the editors is like, yeah, you know, we're going we're to do an anthology on Justice League. So if you guys want to put together a story to explain how the multi-man can be alive and dead at the same time, go nuts. So they put together an eight-page story that explains how the multi-man is still alive to the point where the multi-man is reading in the newspaper that he's dead and he's pissed off about it. And he ends up getting into, I'm not going to say a tussle because there's like weird, it's, it's almost like they're trying to computer program at the same time. So it's him and Guy Gardner in front of computers and stuff like that. And it's in that point that it's revealed that that multi-man is a robot and the real multi-man is dead. And it's got a comedic element to it because, you know, Guy Gardner in the Justice League. Well, that was that was some goofy stuff. And they submitted the story. Story was done. And the book got canceled before it came out. So for years, Jeff Loeb was like, oh, this sucks. And so they sent back the art to Tim Sale. And it wasn't until the early 2000s when Tim Sale moved to Pasadena that in the move, he found these boards. And so they went to DC and said, we still have these. And so in the Challengers of the Unknown 2004 trade, that story was printed in the back just to make him happy. Like, finally, it's out there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's funny to see, you know, Loeb, that bit of continuity was just like needling him. He's like, come on, can't we just fix that? Can we fix that? Because that doesn't make sense. That's the thing of when it comes to comics. Some people really care about the continuity. Yeah. Become obsessed, if you will. But it explains a lot about this sort of misanthropic, much older than they were at this time, man energy that comes off this. You're just built different, son, if you held on to that that long with all the other (laughs) stuff you got to do. 
It's like, yeah, yeah, that's just how you are. No, totally. I think sometime down the road, we will do probably a Loeb and Sale episode. We've like previously on the, the, on the show, we've done an episode on Tim Sale. We've done an episode on Jeff Loeb, but we've never done one about the specific dynamic duo of Loeb and Sale. And after reading this, yeah, it'd be fun to actually sit down and do one about their whole career together. Yeah. And, and see where they are with their other exploits outside to sort of map to perhaps where they were emotionally that might explain some of the things that they did. Because now I'm like relitigating a lot of the things I've read from both of them and wondering like, what was going on in your like professional life that like made you like, who hurt you? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, or or what's going really well, but it, more often the more interesting stuff is after a who hurt you moment. Oh, totally. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we've come to the end of another episode of Back Issue Bloodbath. Tula, where can people find you? At inatif.com on Twitter at obesakandawit, O-B-E-S-A-C-A-N-T-A-V-I-T, and here with you. And of course, you can find everything I do over at geekardshow.com. Follow me on Twitter at geekard. Follow this very show on Facebook at Back Issue Bloodbath, where we post a new episode every week. But of course, to make sure you don't miss an episode, you can always subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, be it the Apple Podcast, the Google Podcast, the Stitcher, the TuneIn, the Spotify, wherever you catch your pods. And please, while you're there, leave a five-star rating and review because that helps us out. And we enjoy it when you help us. And we'll help you enjoy your comics. That's what we'll do right here. Unlike the challenges of the unknown, we won't get annoyed that we have to do it. We'll enjoy every minute of it. Every minute of it. Every minute. Yes, sir. <laughs> this has been Back Issue Bloodbath. I've been Andrew Young. I've been Petula Neal. Have yourself a good